I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to uh, begin here this morning. I want to extend my thanks to Evan for ministering last Sunday. It was beautiful. Very, very wonderful. I appreciate you, my, my dear friend. I really do. And um, I wanted to talk to you some more about faith. I wanted to give instruction from the Word of God in regards to this. The Bible says that this is the means by which we overcome our faith. The Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. And it is only through faith that we can please God. And so one last scripture that we're probably familiar with is the just shall live by faith. You're going to see that today. And I just want to talk about this over the next couple of weeks. How do the just actually live by faith? Um, as we've been talking about faith over the last few weeks, one of the things that we certainly understand is that a lot of people today in claiming faith, it's, it's merely uh, a presumption or even a confession, but doesn't have a validity, doesn't have a reality to it. And so James says that um, you say that you have faith, I'll show you my faith. And so there's a living faith and a faith that is able to be demonstrated. And, um, and that's what we want to get to in these lessons is just really, are we really living by faith? Um, are we really in Christ? Because it is cultural in America. And for most of you guys growing up, it is very cultural to be a Christian it was very accepted in your day to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It's quickly changing today in the younger generation. But most of you grew up in a time where it was just acceptable to be a Christian. Everybody was. And so everybody has this sincere belief that there's a God. And most everybody in, in um, our country has a sincere belief that Jesus is God. But the Bible says the devils believe that. And they tremble and it does them no good. So I want us to talk about this. There are many times we see in the New Testament where Jesus is identifying people's faiths. He might comment about uh, somebody and say that you have little faith. There was a time when a woman approached him or even the centurion that approached Jesus and said, this is great faith. So Jesus was able to see different measures of faith. One of the encouraging things that we have is that Jesus said, if you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you'd have the ability to speak to mountains and that they would move. And so faith is extremely powerful, but it's not a force that moves God. It is a belief that is in agreement with God. And that's something that we really have to understand because faith is not something that comes to us through motivation. It's not something that comes to us even from a lot of friends in supporting us in a particular matter. Faith is agreement with God, believing that he has actually said something or that he will do something. And so you agree with God on that. And so I want us to see it in Romans chapter 1. The Bible says in verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so there is something that God wants to reveal to people on the basis of faith. And it is important that you have that revelation. Not that you have the persuasion simply. Not that you have the confession, not that you have the nice doctrinal beliefs, but do you have the revelation 
of this righteousness by God. That is so important. And he gives it by faith and to faith. And so faith always builds upon itself. You've got to have faith in order to have greater faith. You can't have great faith without some faith. And so it's all got to build. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He he starts it. He finishes it. He's the one engineering everything in the in-between. And so we have to understand and look for God and his revelation. So he reveals things to us by faith. And I just submit to you, and I, I really believe this to be true, as I see in the scriptures that when the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it talks about men and women of faith who saw things and heard things that nobody else saw or heard. For example, I'm reminded of Elijah who said that he would be told by God when to ask for rain again. And so he said, I hear the sound of abundance of rain. Nobody else heard that. But Elijah heard that. And so it wasn't something that was sensitive to the natural organs of hearing. And not necessarily to the natural organs of sight. But what if faith is not just this nice little package of beliefs. But an actual organ that is able to hear and see and perceive things that are invisible. That are of another kingdom. You actually hear God. You actually see God. You actually touch God. And I believe that it is. I believe that through the scriptures there is this convincing in people that they've seen something. They know something. They have something that God has given them. And even if the whole world stands against them. They will stand upon that because they believe it is God. And so this is the preciousness of it. You know, there's another matter too, and I say this, this is found in John 1.16, that we have received grace because of grace. It is grace upon grace. Um, and so that's very important. And the reason I bring grace into this picture is because really faith and grace work together. Um, it is important, it is impossible to have grace without faith. It's impossible. And it's impossible to act in faith apart from grace. As a matter of fact, your very salvation is the result of salvation by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. To the Galatians, Paul wrote that faith works by love. And that word love is grace. And so faith needs to operate through love. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really stricken with recently or over the last few years is maybe the things that we're desiring God to do in the earth is not a lack of faith, but a lack of love, a lack of grace. Because if faith operates through that love, then maybe what the church needs today is more love. More grace operating. We all believe in it. We probably could all do a Bible study on it. But it's not, it's actually exercising it and giving it and living in it. And, um, so there's a lot of harshness in the body of Christ. A lot of lawyers, a lot of people faithful to Moses, but not faithful to Jesus. And so it's important that we understand these things. And so I just bring that out because for grace to be grace, it has to be a gift. If it was a reward, it's not grace. And so it's a gift that God gives us. And so faith and grace are all intertwined. 
And so we're talking about faith right now. Then you have to have faith in the grace of God. You have to believe that in the Lord. And so we're just going to go through some of these scriptures, some of them, most of them in Romans chapter one. But I just want you to follow with me in some of these things. And he says in verse 16, Romans one, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so here's this gospel of salvation that is available to everyone. But the only ones that are going to benefit from it are those that believe. So belief is actually necessary in order for us to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is that belief? What does it look like? And that's what's important for us to understand. Now, why is the gospel so powerful? What is the power of the gospel? It's not the gospel of the old covenant. It's not the gospel of Moses. Moses didn't preach this gospel. The righteousness that that Moses talked about was a righteousness of the law and a demand to fulfill the law and to, and to do everything that the law commanded, which nobody could do. And according to the New Testament, nobody's justified by the law. Everybody is condemned by the law and will be judged by the law and will die by the law. And so we have to come to this new revelation that the Bible gives us. And it says the power of this gospel, verse 17, is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that needs to be believed is a revelation that comes to people from faith to faith. And it is the revelation of this. There is a righteousness of God. And that's what Paul wanted. He wrote that to the Philippians. I want the righteousness of faith in God. And not from my own effort or my own desires. And so you've got to believe that there were many people who thought that they were living in faith. But constantly trying through that effort of faith to develop a lifestyle that would somehow be pleasing to God and he would accept it. Certainly they believed in something, right? And so even the Pharisees and Sadducees, they believed in something, but they didn't have this revelation. And this revelation is essential and necessary for our salvation and our life. And so... I want you to understand faith is not so much of a mystery, but it reckons upon unseen effects. For example, we all believe in wind, but we've never seen it. But you've seen its effects. You've felt it, so you believe in it. You know, scientists today believe in gravity, but they cannot explain it. Scientists believe in dark matter and dark energy in space, but they have no idea what it is. They can't see it. They can't touch it. They can't measure it, but they believe in it. And so they believe in it because they see effects that happen as a result of it. And so I want to talk about God initiating a relationship with an unbeliever. I want you to see that because what we're trying to understand right now is the revelation 
of this righteousness of God, which is from faith to faith. And this is the means by which we're saved. So how does God initiate this with an unbeliever? And if there is an unbeliever who does not believe and refuses to believe and never goes on to believe, then is this the result of a God who refused to give him the means of grace to be saved? As Calvin might teach, which I totally reject. I believe everybody is accountable and everybody has the same access to this faith and to this grace. And the problem where, where men miss it is not in the theological discussions about it, but it is in that spiritual revelation of faith, which is a gift from God that they accept on the basis of, but it's not a blind leap into the dark, right? God gives us substance. When God says, trust me, well, God is giving people reasons to trust him. When Jesus encountered the disciples, we typically romanticize it in the regards to the fact that here's Peter, James, and John working on their boats and fishing. And this 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 holy man's walking down the, the, the seashore of Galilee and, and just cries out, come and follow me. And they just go follow him. But that is that is certainly not the depiction we get from Scripture. Before these men ever abandoned their boats, they had seen multitudes of miracles. Peter saw his mother-in-law healed. They watched Jesus Christ and heard him teach and, and minister to thousands and thousands of people. Jesus gave them relevant events that affected their lives and proved that he was trustworthy and said, follow me. And on the basis of their pre-existing relationship with him, they did. And everybody has that opportunity. People cannot deny that. But they can choose to not believe that. And that is their choice. And so I just want us to see this. And how does an unbeliever even become a believer? How does God speak to them? Well, the law is very important. The law of Moses is extremely important. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19 that it is the law that converts. And Paul said to Timothy that the rightful use of the law is for the ungodly and the abominable and the sinners and the whoremongers and, 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 and the, the drunks and the adulterers. The law is for them. And Paul said to the people in Galatia that the law was given as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so when God is trying to deal with unbelievers... He works on something that he instilled into man, which is called a conscience. And the law of God is written in the conscience of men. And so you find this dating back all the way to the 6,000 years of human history. And every culture, civilized or uncivilized, there was a code of conduct. And it wasn't because they all had access to Moses' Ten Commandments. But it was because in the conscience of humanity, created in the image of God, there was a sense of justice and a sense of righteousness. And when man sinned, he had the knowledge of good and evil. 
And he knew in his conscience that it's wrong to murder. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to take something that belongs to somebody else. It's wrong to dishonor God, whoever he may be. And so you see the pagans with gods in their culture trying to honor these gods and please these gods. Because there is in the conscience of man this understanding of moral absolutes. Man is doing everything he can today to abolish them. As a result of the evolutionary theories. But he really can't do it because it's woven into man's makeup and his instinctive abilities. And so God gives the law through Moses. And when God gave the law through Moses, here are these commandments now that are written in stone. That bear witness to the code that was transcribed by God in man's conscience. And man knows now that if he's murdered, he's not only gone against his conscience. He's gone against something that God said was forbidden. And now he cannot hide even in himself because he knows that God knows and I'm guilty before God and I'm going to be judged by God and I'm going to be damned by God. Therefore, is there mercy for me? Because that's what he needs, right? Mercy. A man murders somebody, he doesn't go to the judge if the judge is just and say, I murdered somebody, I'll never do it again. All right, well, you're free to go. No, you've got to pay your crime. You've got to pay the price for your crime. You've got to pay the penalty. And the wages of sin is death. That is also in the code of man. And so therefore God gave the law that it might be a written expression to all men that you have broken my commandments. So whether you were a Jew that had the actual Ten Commandments of God... Or whether you were a pagan that lived out of Judaism, you still have this awareness in your conscience that you have offended God. And so what do you do to make that right? And so that's how God would go to work on the unbeliever. He would speak to the unbeliever in that way. And he would convince the unbeliever and convict the unbeliever of his wrath that is against them. And then in the beautiful gospel of our Lord, he would give a presentation and a rescue through his son, Jesus Christ, to anyone who would believe that they would be saved. But it's not the belief in the event of Jesus coming. It is the revelation of God's righteousness. It is a transformed life. It is a new birth. And this is what the gospel does to people. And it gives them this new life. And they live that life by faith. So I hope you understand that. And understand how this works. And how God speaks to the unbeliever. And he's speaking to all unbelievers. Now let's back up a little bit. Or understand it in this regard. We're going to look at something in Romans 1 again. But I want you to see this. That God's works are displayed to all of humanity. There's not a place on earth where the works of God are not demonstrated. There's not a people on earth that have not been exposed to the works of God. And we're talking about coming into faith, right? And so God has given a demonstration to humanity, not only the fact that there is a God... But you need to fear this God because he's awesome in power. 
And your conscience has already known you've broken his laws. But now you're beginning to see, wow, this God is awesomely powerful. And so in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. So God has given a demonstration to all men through his creation that there is a God and this God is awesome in power and his wrath is against all unrighteousness. Everything that would go against his natural order, his code, his way will be met by his wrath. And he has demonstrated that to countries and nations and people and Everything, he's, he's demonstrated that he is very serious and he's not playing. But men need the gospel, right? They need to know, I know there's a God, I know there's these things going on and I need escape from this, I need mercy. So Romans chapter 10, you find this beautiful passage of scripture and it says this in verse 18. Or, or let's just back up to verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, he's already demonstrated his power and Godhead to all men so that all are without excuse. If people want to believe evolution, that's their choice. But they can't blame God for not showing them. It's like the little boy said to his atheist mom and daddy at breakfast one time. Do you think, do you believe God knows we don't believe in him? You know, there's that point in your life. You just know there is a God. Nothing else makes sense if he's not there. So how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why we need preachers. And that's why we need churches that send preachers. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. As a matter of fact, um, and, and this is true, it's just that men don't want to believe it. We've been given a mandate by Jesus Christ to go into all the earth and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, the Bible says that sound has already gone out into all the earth. For example, you know, a year or so ago, COVID breaks out in the world. In less than two weeks, five, five billion people in the earth all know about it. Because everything was in cahoots to tell everybody on the planet about it. They believed in it. Well, 2,000 years ago, God raised his son Jesus Christ from the dead. And Paul says to the Romans, this is the declaration of God that Jesus is his son. 
But men don't want to hear that, so they don't promote that. But the sound's gone out. The access to this mercy of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, is public knowledge. It's not locked up in a book in some vault in Jerusalem. It's out there, and anybody can have access to it. But the preachers need to go out and tell the people about this. And you can write this down beside uh, Romans 1, and you can write Psalm 19 down, because Psalm 19 is a psalm that also talks about the creation declaring the glory of God and the power of God, and so forth. And so, um, let me just come through some of this very quickly. I don't have time this morning to read this, but James chapter 2 tells us about dead faith. You say that you have faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. And so faith has works. Faith has fruit. It just doesn't live with a confession. It has a supernatural life to it. It has a supernatural element to it. You can train a monkey to go to church. But I'm talking about a new birth. A new life, a new conviction, a new mind, a new desire, a new love, you know. And it's not that you won't walk into temptation or even walk into sin again. But now there's a new voice inside of you that says, what are you doing? You don't like this anymore. I don't? No, I don't. I really don't. What is going on with me? And that's the life of God in you that comes through saving faith. And um, we'll touch on that. But I, but I want you to know there is there is this human faith. And this human faith, if you will, um, we all have it. You know, you, you all have it. You exercise your life in it every day, human faith. But I want to talk about it in this way. Human faith is the faith in simply believing what God has done. Acknowledging or believing what God has done. And this is human faith. I'm not relating this to saving faith. But I'm relating this to human faith. I'm relating this to the type of faith that James said people had, but they had no works with it. And it was dead faith. And so in John chapter 2, verse 23, the Jews believed in what God had done. They believed. And I want to come to this individual in the Bible in John chapter 3 named Nicodemus. And I want you to see this because... Remember what I just said. How does God speak to the unbeliever? Through the conscience of the unbeliever, through the written law of God, and through the evidence that God has given to all men that there is a God, and he is powerful and awesome, and he is judging the unrighteous. And so he's given that revelation. And so most people believe in a God, but they don't know who this God is. And so there are those even in the Jewish days who believed in Jehovah as God, but they had no relationship with him. And so you see this in John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles, which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. How do we know that? Because Jesus was giving evidence. It's not what this new 
faith that's being defined by atheists today and call, saying you Christians just take blind leaps, blind leaps into the dark. The atheists do that. The evolutionists do that. We don't do that. Our faith is based upon evidence and substance and the testimony of God. And so this guy comes to God and says, we know you're a teacher. Come from God. How do you know that? No man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. You are doing things in our midst and we cannot ignore it. They're supernatural. You have to have come from God. He believed that. He believes in God. He believes in this Jesus is coming from God. But this man is lost. And unless he gets the new birth, he's going to hell even though he's got human faith. He doesn't have saving faith. He doesn't have the revelation. And tragically, a great majority of the church world around the world today has this kind of faith that Nicodemus had. And Jesus said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter the, the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and you hear the sound thereof. You can't tell where it comes or whether it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said, How? How can these things be? And he said, Jesus said to him, are you a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen faith and you received not our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And so here's this conflict in Nicodemus. He believes in God. He believes that Jesus has come from God. He believes in the miracles. He believes in the supernatural. He believes in all of these things. But Jesus is confronting him as an unbeliever. You can't even believe the natural things I'm telling you. How are you ever going to believe the spiritual things? It takes faith. I have given you the ground that you need to know who to come to. And Nicodemus did that well. He went to Jesus. But he got stuck in his brain. How can this be? How can these things happen? How do I go back into my mother's womb? I don't understand. And you never will. You will not be given the revelation in your brain. It is a spiritual revelation of faith that you believe God. And it's not a blind leap into the dark. It is the evidence of the resurrection, the coming of the Holy Ghost, the testimony of thousands upon thousands of people whose lives have been transformed by faith in God that cannot be denied. The children of Israel were delivered from Egypt by the power of God and they saw the power of God. They saw God's presence every day, the cloud during the the daytime, the fire at night, the manna every morning, the rock that followed them and gave them water. If you were to ask any Israelite, do you believe in God? They would say, are you kidding me? Look at him. We saw his power in Egypt. 
He delivered us. But Hebrews 3 said that whole generation died in unbelief. Unbelief. And the tragedy of all tragedies of the multitudes of people, according to Matthew chapter 7, who have said to me, Lord, Lord. But I will say to them, I never knew you. All you had was human faith. You had evidence that I was real, that I existed, that I was raised from the dead. You've had testimony that I died for the sins of the world. But you never had the revelation of this righteousness. Which is of God. By faith. And so this is where it all starts. And this is how God's communicating with men. And there's not a person on the planet that can deny that God has not reached out to them. And I close with this. And we'll call if you just come up to the piano. Well, I'll close with this. Um, and that is. If a person sincerely wants to know God. But they have no access to a preacher. They have no access to to really know who this God is. But they know there's a God. Maybe they live in some you know, place in the world. Where there's no freedom. There's no gospel. There are no Bibles. There are no preachers. I believe God will show them. I believe somehow God will get to them. And, Cor- and, and Cornelius right. Who was I talking about in John 3? Nicodemus. So Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Here's a man who knows there's a God. He's moved by the evidence of God. And he prays to this God and he offers to this God and he gives tithes and he gives alms and he takes care of the poor because he knows this code that's written in him and this God, but he doesn't know who the God is. So what does God do? He sends an angel and says, I got a preacher in Joppa. His name is Peter. Go ask for him to come here and he'll tell you who I am. And I believe God does that to this day. Whether it's a dream of Jesus going to a Muslim in Iraq and telling that Muslim, Allah is not God, but I am, and they get saved. God knows how to do it. But please don't let that take you off the hook of preaching. You preach in your businesses, in your workplaces, because man has the code. I remember going to LSU and there was a free speech alley. You know, it was as bad when I was there as it is today. Abusive. A lot of times abusive preaching and man screaming at all. You're a whoremonger. You're a drunkard and all of these things. And I just went up to him one day and I said, you know, they know that. What they want to know is how they can be free. Where's your gospel? Where's your gospel? Where's your good news? Where's the mercy that tells them how to escape the wrath of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Isn't that beautiful? Amen. Praise God. Well, I love you guys. Thank you for coming this morning.